I've got a new technique, by the way. I, I leave the door open of the cupboard, shut it the last minute lot, because I get a bit claustrophobic. I like to stretch out last minute, right up until the bit we record. Running with Jake, the podcast. On this episode... There are loads of mistakes that, that people make around fueling and hydration, and the one that we're most focused on trying to correct is having a fundamental understanding of what different type of sports nutrition products do and how much of them you need to use. Running with Jake, the podcast, Because every runner needs the occasional plod. And here's your host, Jake Lowe. Welcome to another episode of Running With Jake, the podcast, your weekly dose of running motivation. And I'll tell you what motivation means to me. It's a passion, a drive to take action and work towards a meaningful goal. I think it's really important. It's got to be meaningful, Pete. The goal, it can't just be a random goal. You pluck out the air. It's got to be important mean and meaningful to you, not your friend, not your colleague, not your run club buddies. You know those dark, cold, wet, miserable Sundays when you've got to get out there and run and you need the discipline to take action? It's got to be meaningful. That will get you out the door. Pete. Yes, Jake. What does the word motivation mean to you? What does the word motivation mean to me? Why have you turned the tables like this? Because you ask guests this and then they get un- all uncomfortable and then I look and point and laugh and go, oh, you're stuttering, you don't know the answer to this. And now you're asking me what motivation is. Motivation to me, I think, is the drive to move forward. That's it, my friend. That's all you're getting from That's, me today. I like it. That's all you're no, getting like from it. me. I like it. It's good. It's good. And look, I, I want to take motivation to the next level today. I'm really up for it. We are getting very close to lots of races now. Spring races, people getting fired up. It's very exciting. Obviously, I do say to a lot of people, try to be voice of reason with my runners. There's still a long time for us to pick up those niggles and injuries and things like that. So you've still got to really listen to the body. Actually, we, myself and Martina, my girlfriend, were training for Manchester Marathon, as people may know. In April, super fired up for this. Training's going really well, but we're on a recovery week this week. We're taking it a little bit easy. And I tell you something, man, wow. It could not have come at a better time. Just got to ease off the gas. Back off, back off. Back off is probably the best sentiment, bearing in mind what I saw at the weekend. On Strava, yourself and Marty went on a run. It wasn't just a lot. I mean, that was like a really long run, right? Uh, That was a very long run. It was a bit mad. And to be honest, we didn't decide until the very last minute what we were going to do in terms of like where we were going to do the session. Because as people listen to this will know, as the runs get longer, even if it's not a marathon you're training for, you still go out there and do long runs as an endurance runner, even if you're working towards 10Ks and half marathons. And sometimes they can reach a distance or duration depending on the focus where ah you can just feel a little bit anxious about it you get those those butterflies and those jittery feelings on the sunday morning before you get out there oh god how's how this how is this going to go and you want to find ways of inspiring yourself to get out there take action as we mentioned so i think finding interesting routes can really help however I'm not sure how interesting the route was for Sunday's long run. We had two and a half hours to do and we ran this what I like to call kind of fast, easy slash steady. So it was it was we were pushing the pace a bit, but we were still kind of working in the realms of easy, if you like. But we knew we were working and we just did laps of the running track, the local running track in Winchester, 80 laps 20 miles of the track. 20 miles. That's non-stop running oh. for two and a half hours. I don't even know why you do that to your body. No wonder you no wonder you're, you're happy to have a recovery week this week. I know normally you're not a big fan of recovery weeks, but this week you need it, right? Well, look, if 
people want to see what Sessions Madness were up to and, and follow my training, then you can you can check out just search Running with Jake on Strava. I post everything on there. But and quite a few people commented and messaged me like, "What are you doing running that long on the track?" And I'll tell you yeah, why we, we yeah. did it really because it's a great little base here, like the starting point for the track. So we can use that as a base, do a few laps. We said, "Well, look, let's just see how it goes. If we get a bit bored, we can disappear off." So we paid for the use of the track. We could disappear off, do a couple of laps around Winchester. You know, obviously longer than 400 meters, come back to the track, do a bit more. So we're willing to kind of keep things relatively fluid. But the main reason we chose the track, and honestly, I really believe that there are huge benefits to this. We didn't want to have any distractions. We wanted a good quality run. So we wanted to get our head down. We wanted to focus on running technique. I'm trying to help Martina improve her breathing rhythm. And she didn't want those distractions. We didn't want those distractions of dogs, pedestrians, crossing roads, undulations, you know, natural kind of ups and downs as you run around the city. So we just thought pancake flat surface. We can just switch off, dial into breathing rhythm cadence technique all those things and just go for it and then we'll see how it goes but the other the other big advantage and there's so many it really helps mental toughness as well and we know when you're training for something it's quite difficult to have that mental resilience and in a race especially if people listen to this and wanted to push themselves in their chosen race it's very easy to stay within your comfort zone and and we typically want to do that we want to do a, a big long run that actually is most comfortable for us but by putting yourself in a situation like ourselves where we're around the track 80 laps you know that you've got to go somewhere in your mind and you've got to generate that kind of toughness to keep going and that's going to help and serve you well come the race and the other thing is we didn't want to carry anything so hydration nutrition obviously when your runs get longer fueling becomes really key and i always advise people practice this in training don't leave it until the last minute on the race if you're looking at taking gels or whatever form of nutrition it might be hydration we know it's important got to practice it not just only what works well for you in terms of the sorts of fuel that you take on board but actually fueling does that make sense like the action of consuming something while you're running so on the track what we did was we just had our water bottles at the side of the track and then we just had a drink as we needed it we like kind of grabbed it carried on running and then because we're obviously staying on the oval you can just kind of ditch it to the side same same with the gels and then you can go around around the track and just pick it up again when you need it so that was really helpful so it was a it was it was a huge a huge kind of win for us on that sunday but yeah absolutely need a recovery week this week yeah you've made it make sense now because i looked at it and i thought jake and marty have lost it here but um what you said does make sense and you know that that thing about hydration and um and and uh, fueling and, and doing that right as well is pretty apt because of today's guest of course yeah in some respects i was actually super excited to do that bonkers run on sunday because runners will get this we like something new new music playlists to listen to new shoes new clothes to run in new gels whatever you want to try something new and today's guest andy blow who's a top guy sports scientist he's an athlete himself and the founder of precision fuel and hydration those guys sent me some of their new gels to check out and some of their hydration products so i was well up for it on sunday in that respect and it worked really really well taking on the fluids testing out the gels but again just not having to carry the stuff man just ditch it at the side works awesome but those guys don't just want to help me and my marathon in manchester in april they want to help you with your fueling and hydration too andy blow on the show today for the show notes and video content go to runningwithjake.com forward slash podcast Running with Jake, the podcast.
I am very excited to be speaking to today's guest. Once again, he was on episode 55 many moons ago. We had a great conversation around all things hydration. We're going to take that a little step further today. We are speaking to Andy Blow, sports scientist and founder of Precision Fuel and Hydration. Andy, good to speak to you again, my friend. How are you doing? It's lovely to be back, Jake. Thanks for the invite. Oh, you're, you're part of the furniture. It's always a pleasure catching up with you, Andy. <laughs> and we were just saying, actually, before we started uh, before we started recording this call, where does time go? I mean, how quickly is the world changing? Everybody's struggling to keep up. And yourselves at, well, what was, what, what was once precision hydration is now precision fuel and hydration. So helping people not only with getting hydrated, but making sure they're fueled accordingly for their various endurance events, races and training. What was the reason behind that, Andy? Was that always on the radar to kind of help people with the fueling? Because they go hand in hand, right? They do. And it was, I wouldn't say it was always on the radar. When we started out, we picked the name, you know, precision hydration, because we wanted to focus on a really narrow niche. We thought that's where our core expertise lies that's where I certainly needed the most help when I was an athlete and so we were pretty blinkered when we did that and then of course within a few months a few years talking with athletes about hydration inevitably you end up talking about fueling as well and the two overlap and it was really um, sort of in the last three or four years, we started to formulate plans on, okay, well, we we definitely sort of have to start to make a, a move into that space as well, because we, we're talking with so many people who want help with that. And um, then, then you know, we, we were eventually prompted to get, get off our backsides, develop some products, start testing them ourselves. And, and um, eventually it led to the, yeah, led to the, the new, the new look and feel of the company by adding the, the words fuel and to the name. So so now we're kind of we're aiming to to be much more above the board above board about the fact that that's what we're working with athletes on end to end fueling and hydration to be at your best. It's a big thing, isn't it? It's a big part of training and racing. And I think it's also an area that causes the most confusion. I mean, you know, with your pedigree and experience, obviously a sports scientist, but an athlete yourself winning age age group world titles. And I think you had, two, was it two top finish, top 10 finishers in, in Ironman triathlon, which is was, incredible. Yeah. So, cl- so clearly that passion comes across and that knowledge and that desire to want to help people nail their fueling strategies. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you think people make? Are there some really obvious things? I mean, lots of people are training for, for marathons now. Obviously, we're on the corner or right in the thick of training, really, for spring marathons. Are there some kind of real obvious things that you guys see people make, those mistakes, or actually, oh, if we just maybe we need to do this or maybe we need to do that, kind of re-educate almost? Yeah, I'd say there are. There are loads of mistakes that, that people make around fueling and hydration. And the, the number one mistake the one that we're most focused on trying to correct i think is having a fundamental understanding of what different type of sports nutrition products do and how much of them you need to use because the problem with sports nutrition marketing over the years has has been it's been very very um, it, it, it tends to sort of extol the virtues of individual products or individual product features. It's like this is the latest and greatest ingredient or the latest and greatest something that will make you go faster. When in actual fact, sports nutrition and the basics behind it are really quite simple and fundamental. When you're exercising, you sweat, so you lose 
fluids and electrolytes, which is a lot of what we talked about last time I was on with you. And then in addition to that, you burn calories, mainly in the form of carbohydrates. So when you break it down, when you're exercising, what you need is some water, some salts and some carbs. And what you really need to understand as an athlete is how much of those three things you need in what proportion based on what you're doing and and what the weather conditions are in your physiology if you get that about right you'll you'll tend to go really really well and so i guess it's like boiling it down to how much how many milliliters of fluid you need how many milligrams of sodium do you need and how many grams of carbohydrate do you need per hour if you then get that about right the rest takes care of itself And so our educational messages, the tools that we're building on our website, the blogs that we're writing and the products that we're making are all aligned around that goal of getting people to hit their numbers when it comes to fluids, electrolytes and calories. I mean, your your mission is pretty clear. It's all over your website. I've seen some of the videos that you've put out there to help athletes nail their nutrition and hydration strategies. I love the use of the word nail there because that's exactly what it is. That's what people want to do. And it can cause a lot of confusion. Now is the best time to really start testing things to see what works for you. Have you got any kind of tips, kind of core tips for people that are perhaps maybe they haven't really given much thought to the fueling yet, which is quite common. That does happen, particularly if people are relatively new to big distances like marathons and stuff. What are some of the things that people need to start thinking about now? Because obviously it takes time to learn what works for the individual and it's not one size fits all. How does somebody begin that process? I would say the first step, going back to that point that I made about knowing your numbers, is getting a rough appreciation for how much energy, for example, you might need to take per hour when you're running. Um, we've got something on our website called the quick carb calculator, which is it literally takes three or four seconds to fill it out. You tell you put in what sport you're doing, how long you're going for, at what intensity you're going at it, and it will give you a recommended band of carbohydrate consumption per hour. And you can use that number really quickly then to sort of decide, okay, well, if I'm going out and doing my long run on a Sunday morning, like a lot of people do, for example, how many grams of carb is the calculator telling me I should take per hour? And then figuring out a way to get that in. Because I think running running and marathon running in particular is a really... interesting example for this because the vast majority of marathon runners will not run far enough in most of their training sessions to mean that they need to fuel or even hydrate a lot of the time a lot of the time you you eat and drink before you might have a drink or something during a a longer session but really most of your runs during the week are going to be short enough that you're not going to worry about eating and what that leads to is a level of sort of apprehension about well how do I eat on a run I don't you don't get a lot of practice and even I was talking to an elite, a relatively elite marathon runner this week, in fact, a guy who's aiming to run sub 220 in a few weeks time. So right on that borderline of being a sort of national slash international quality runner. Really, he's a guy who's run 14 odd minutes for 5K, 30 minutes flat for 10K. But he's scared of eating on his long runs because he's just never done it before. And we were discussing, you know, how how making sure that he's got a fueling plan which he's starting to practice regularly in training is going to be a key step to really ensuring that he can do that he can close out a marathon in good shape because it's only in those last five or six miles when lack of fueling will will you know sort of come to bear so what i would say to most people is look start to work out what your um, carbohydrate needs might be for for your goal race if it's a marathon and then start to 
fuel like that in your longer training sessions as early as possible. And I'm talking there like weeks and weeks out from the event because using the same products that you're going to use in roughly the same quantities, even figuring things out like if you're going to be self-sufficient, how you're going to carry these things. Are you going to have a running belt or something with your gels in it or a bottle with your drink in it and just really get comfortable with doing it so it becomes second nature there's a practical element which you touch on there like how are you physically going to carry the gels and consume the gels if it's gels you're using of course or fluids what are you doing are you using the aid stations or on a training run i assume you can't do that unless you're going to go around and set tables up that would be very organized but what how are you going to do that and you've got to practice it what if i'm really interesting with a quick carb calculator which i've got in front of me which i did at the weekend actually which we will link in the show notes page which is runningwithjake.com forward slash podcast if you want to go and check that out but what i find is really interesting interesting it kind of ask you the obvious questions you know what are you fueling for okay well it's a run what is the distance of that well it's a marathon in my case and many people perhaps listen to this now how long will it take and importantly how hard will you be going how hard are you actually going to work what are the differences between somebody the athlete you mentioned who's you know at the top of his game really going for it moving up from the 5k and 10k distances to the marathon to somebody that just wants to complete it maybe it's their first time what are some of the very different kind of strategies or thoughts that they need to have in mind when preparing for such an event yeah, it's a good good question. The reason intensity is one of the questions in the carb calculator is because the faster you're running as a overall and also as a percentage of your overall maximum, the more reliant you're going to be on carbohydrate for your fuel and the faster you're going to burn through your fuel reserves. So generally speaking, we advise and we see higher carbohydrate intake numbers in runners that are moving faster rather than slower. Um, that's kind of counterintuitive to some people because some people think, well, if you're running a marathon in four hours, you're going to be out there nearly twice as long as the winner who's going to be out there just over two hours. Surely you'd need to eat you know, more to get round. In a way, you, know, you, you may eat the same amount because you're out there for longer, but you'll be eating at a slower rate or consuming it at a slower rate. So we tend to see the recommendation, the the window of recommendation around carbohydrate intake for marathon runners tends to be somewhere between 30 grams of carbs per hour at the lower, slower end, up to 90 or slightly above grams per hour for the really, really fast runners. And so, and then if you imagine, you know, everyone existing somewhere between those two, those two, um, those two points then you can start to get an appreciation for how much you as an individual might need to take in and there are there are individual considerations there like people who have a who find it really easy to eat gels or drink sports drinks when they're running will probably benefit from tolerating and taking in a little bit more because actually a little bit more fuel is probably better than a little bit less at the same time if you're someone with a really nervous stomach or really struggle to take it in you might have to you might have to are on the more conservative side but I mean I've, I've read a lot of the research papers and we talk to a lot of athletes at precision fuel and hydration and we tend to find as a rule I would say marathon runners would probably tend to under fuel rather than over fuel so a lot of the time we spend a little bit of energy um, encouraging people to try and find ways to up their 
their energy intake during a race rather than decrease it. I mean, gels can get a bit of a bad rap, can't they? Let's be honest. People go, oh, I don't like gels. They don't work for me. I don't like the flavours. I mean, I've got some of your uh, new products here. So like the, the gels, for example, and well, in fact, all of your nutrition products are now quite clearly labelled on the front how many grams of carbohydrate per per gel, per energy chew, uh, per drink mix. So at least you know exactly where you are. But what I find quite interesting is that you guys talk about flavour fatigue, which I've never used that phrase before, but it's something that I think about a lot. I've thought about a lot in my own running and I talk to other runners about, you know, when people say, oh, I can't, I can't stomach that gel. I don't like that flavor. or I like this flavor. And I think, well, look, you, even if you think of the best flavor food, your, your favorite flavor of food, if you were to consume that, gosh knows how many times over the period of three, four, five hours, and especially if you're under physical duress as well. So running, training, pushing yourself, it's probably no longer going to be your favorite food. Is that what you guys mean by flavor fatigue? And what are some of the tips around kind of choosing flavors? And I guess the 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 the, uh, the type of fuel as well, whether it is a chew, whether it is a gel. Yeah, good good question. Because because um, flavor fatigue is a real issue, especially if you go into the the depths of long races, you know, ultra marathons, Ironman triathlons, and that sort of thing. People can get really really sick of consuming the same flavors. And sports nutrition products in general tend to have pretty strong flavors. Sometimes that can be um, just to kind of mask the the active parts of the ingredients, or it, it just seems to be the nature of of the industry and the products that they're very punchy with flavors we've we've gone the other way with our products in terms of making them extremely mild and neutral like basically the gels that we have um, that you're trying out have no flavor you know we literally don't put any flavor in them at all they taste a little bit sweet because they're carbohydrate um, but they they are very very bland and the reason for that is that i think you don't want to try and make these things, you know, you see all these, you can get like custard pie flavoured gels and, and this and that as if, as if there's some kind of gourmet experience. They're really just, <laughs> we, we call our fuel products fuel for a reason. This is fuel. This is not fine dining. And what you want to be able to do is tolerate as much of it as you can during the period of time when you're racing with the minimum, you know, distress and impact. So for me, say during a marathon for most people, Flavor fatigue could be an issue if you're out there for four or five hours eating the same things. But this, but at, but at the same time, it's probably if you've got something fairly bland tasting to, to eat that gives you the energy you need, then you ought to be able to probably tolerate it for that for that length of time. When you're going for much longer, you know, you get into the realms of ultras and stuff. I definitely start to agree that a variety of food intakes for lots of reasons is is really useful. But I think it's a case of experimenting and finding stuff that you like and you find tolerable for the period of time you need to use it and then not not actually making it too complicated to give you an example i my brother was um, it was my brother's 40th birthday between christmas and new year and so as a lot of athletes do he decided to celebrate by running 40 miles on his birthday and dragged me into it <laughs> with him so we did we did that and my my dad um uh, bless him cycled the whole way on his bike and get given his bo bottles a drink and I said to my brother I'm going to do this you know we've got the new range of our products so we're going to do this all on the energy and I managed to do the entire thing basically on the precision fuel energy gels I had a few of our energy chews as well just to break it up and 
the drink mix. And although I'll even I'll be the first to admit that by the end I probably was was not like keen for another gel. It was absolutely it was absolutely fine. You know, it got me round in in decent shape. And considering my level that I hadn't really trained particularly to you know specifically to do it, I was I was quite pleased with the outcome. So I think it's like. Yeah, in summary, it's a case of finding flavours and, and products that, that are neutral enough that you can take enough of them and then just getting your head down and hitting the numbers. You're absolutely right. It, it is about making sure that you, you put these things into practice. And, and I guess from what you're saying, it's like managing expectations as well. I mean, I talk as a coach about this a lot with people, usually around choosing target times, for example, or how a certain run might feel. You know, an athlete, a runner has one experience, has one kind of idea in mind of how this run might go and how it might feel. Then once they're out there, they're like, actually, the reality hits. This is pretty hard, harder than I thought, etc. But where gels are concerned and taking fuel in a race and in a training session is having that awareness and expectation. Actually, this is this is fuel. It needs to be palatable. It needs to be tolerable. I'd like it to taste as nice as it possibly can based on my own preferences. But is it going to do the job of fueling me? And I guess that's the question. Am I able to keep it down? Is it doing its job? Can I take it on board, right? Definitely. And, and a few other practical considerations like is it easy to carry? Is it easy to open on the move? You know, have I, is it going to get crushed to bits if I put it in my pocket or hold it in my hand? Is it going to melt? Because I know some people think, oh, I'd really like to have a, a Snickers bar or something like that because I've used one of those those in training and that. But you try carrying that through 20 miles in a marathon and then try and unwrap it and eat it, it's going to be a bit of a, a sticky mess. So I think, yeah, just, just ticking all of those boxes, using stuff, using stuff in training to make sure that, A, your body's used to it and you know you can get on with it, but also that it's kind of fit for purpose is is also really important you and i love that that idea that you've just mentioned about yeah managing your own expectations around it we're not we're not saying you've got to choke stuff down that you hate by any stretch of the imagination but you also have just got to say this is this is just something you know this is to do a job and you talk about the practical elements of consuming food the example of a snickers i saw pete come alive there when you mentioned that pete that's not going to be your race fuel for the manchester relay uh, marathon okay just so you know oh, just so you okay. know okay that's not happening <laughs> but but i think it's it goes back to that carb calculator doesn't it, andy if, if you're looking at racing this and really pushing yourself whether that's a marathon or whatever distance then obviously kind of the fuel matters even more and actually it needs to be even more practical and easy to consume because naturally you're working at a high level and you want to be as comfortable as you possibly can when you're under duress and i know that's kind of a contradiction in terms it gets quite difficult doesn't it to 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 kind of embrace that whole thing and to learn from those experiences you have in training where fueling is concerned, because many people can focus so heavily on fitness. Am I getting fitter from doing this session? Well, you might be, but actually, are you able to manage the things like fueling and hydration that you will need to manage come the race day? I think that's very, very important. It, just on, again, the practical stuff, do you advise, generally speaking, and I'm sure it's different for different people, but would you suggest that somebody starts consuming energy fueling in training runs on time or on distance i would say time why is that um it's probably the it's it's uh in in the race it's easy then to set your watch even if you fall off your pace it's easy to have your watch set so that it gives you a little beep every let's say you're going to fuel every 20 minutes it remains very very consistent and then there's an element of routine and practicality to it you know it's just it it's a constant whereas you're it's i suppose in 
say marathon road running where time and distance even if you fall off the pace a little bit are almost interchangeable you could you could easily do it and i know that for example the elite runners where they'll take their bottles every 5k or whatever will do it based on distance because you have to um in a the reason i i suppose i tend to I immediately said time there is because I'm also thinking about trail runs and ultras and things like that, where a, a mile can take you, if you're going uphill, a mile could take you the best part of 20 minutes, whereas going down the other side might take you five or six minutes. And if you start, if you're fueling on the basis of how far you've gone, you're going to get very out of sync. So generally speaking, I would say time-based fueling strategy is is the one that I'd advise people to follow. And then you can... The other advantage to that is that if you get used to eating, say, every 20 minutes during training, you're probably not running quite as fast as you will be in the race, but you're getting used to that regularity of feeding and it becomes, you know, fairly routine. So, yeah, for those reasons, that that's generally my preference. That's not to say, though, that fueling based on distance can't work. It's just that it requires there to be a bit of thought behind it if you're if you're on mixed terrain or you're on somewhere where it's less consistent. And as you say, all miles aren't created equal, so it can take you more time or less time and therefore you're not necessarily or potentially risking not getting in enough calories and energy and fuel as as is ideal for your current situation. I think that's a real key takeaway. Just so somebody's they've practiced their fueling, right? So they're using uh, they're using the, the 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 PF gels. They know what they're doing. They're comfortable with it. They're carrying it. Everything's good. They're in a race. They're doing the Brighton Marathon, Manchester Marathon, whichever marathon it may be. When they when it comes to them taking that gel, so let's say it's forty minutes in. Do they need to take it straight away? Is it is it like quick? Or do they have a window of opportunity to get it down? What what's kind of the practical element of consuming the gel? Because I do see people almost like choking themselves to death trying to get this thing down, rip the top open. They're in the middle of you know everybody else, all the other runners. Is it a case of like slowly, slowly, calmly, calmly, or is there kind of a window where you need to be consuming this thing? Yeah, I, I've I've definitely seen the same, and I've done it myself in a race where you virtually half choke yourself, and the gel ends up coming out your nose, and it just <laughs> it's just an awful <laughs> awful experience if you're not careful. So, I think gels in particular tend to benefit from being washed down with a little bit of drink. So if you're gonna if your strategy for the marathon is going to be that you're going to carry a few gels and then pick up water at aid stations or sports drink at aid stations to wash them down with, then my advice there would be to try and take your gel a minute or two before you know you're going to hit that next drink station. Usually the mar- the big marathons have got really good signage. They'll tell you when there's a drink station coming ahead. That's when you open up your gel and you just start to take it down. And depending on how fast you're running and how out of breath you are, you can obviously try to, but you don't need to bang it down in one hit. If you, if you, if, if it's easier for you to, to sort of um, nibble at it for, a minute or so to get it all down then then you can do that you don't need to panic but ideally then you'll have finished it before you get to the aid station you can take a little sip of water or a cup of um a cup of whatever you're you're drinking to help wash it down and then carry on and then it's all pretty seamless um, that that's probably that's probably the, the the best way to approach it but you certainly there's no there's no benefit in slamming a gel down all in one go rather than taking it in a bit more slowly so there you go just take your time that's the best thing because as you say you end up losing your, your your breathing rhythm your cadence your technique you're starting to panic your heart rate's increasing it doesn't need to be kind of wolfed down you, you know nobody's going to snatch that gel out your hand just take your time i think it's really important you everything wants to be calm in a race situation doesn't it you want to yeah, conserve and- energy not expend 
understand it. It's something that's really hard to do because you sat here now thinking, okay, well that sounds easy enough. But in the in the heat of the race, as it were, you do tend to rush things, especially early on, and you're quite nervous and quite stressed and hyped up. And the other thing to think about as well with the timing of your nutrition intake, especially if you're racing a hilly course, so things like you're not going to want to take your gel three quarters of the way up the biggest hill on the course when you're breathing your hardest. You're more likely to want to recover over the top and then get your breath back and take it then. So there can be tactical or course-related considerations to it to when you're taking it in. The other thing that we've that we've developed was uh, is a rather than traditional energy gels just being single use where you where you rip the top off we've actually put three energy gels so 90 grams of carbohydrate into a single pouch with a like a like a baby food pouch it's called a pf90 gel and you you screw the lid off and it's got quite a wide aperture like a like a drinks almost like a sports cap from a drinks bottle and you can actually just take a little bit of gel at a time and then recap that and put it in your running belt or whatever and i found that that was what i was testing a lot of the a lot of the way around the the 40 miler that i did and found it to be a lot easier than feeling like you've opened a gel you have to take the whole lot in one go instead you can just have a little bit at a time so that's another way of doing it yeah i've got one here actually it, it, it clearly puts you in control when you you're consuming something like this and obviously everybody's very conscious now and rightly so on sustainability and not having lots of excess packaging and and littering the streets wherever you may be running so that's quite a key thing actually and and i'm, I'm looking forward to giving that a go i haven't tried it yet that's the 90 gram carb gel pack there and so i'm definitely looking forward to giving that a go listen i don't want to go over old ground too much because we did obviously have a great chat on on uh, around hydration primarily and sweat rates and all that kind of stuff and you can go back and listen to that episode which is episode 55 and check out some of the great points that you made on that but you, you mentioned hydration here and are there any kind of is there any new research since we last spoke on how much fluid an individual should typically take during a, I suppose, a typical average marathon? Now, I know it's not one size fits all. I get that. But are there some kind of, you know, an, an upper and lower kind of limit where hydration can, can, is concerned? Because, again, it's a, it becomes a practical thing, doesn't it, as well? It's, like we've said, it's not so easy consuming fuel and gels. It's not so easy consuming liquid either. Where are we on this? What does the science tell us at the moment? That's uh, a really good question. Well, it's one that we've been trying to answer a little bit with actually, rather than going to the science, we have looked at the scientific literature around this. But as we talked about when we when we previously chatted, the the amount of hydration you'll need to take in during a marathon is is so wide based on your sweat rate and the environmental conditions. So what we've been doing is talking to athletes and interviewing them before and after their marathons and recording exactly what they've eaten and drunk so that we can break down how much fluid, how much sodium, how much carbohydrate done. This data is all now published actually on our website under the athlete case studies and kind of handily you can filter it by sport and you can filter it by running and by marathon and I'll just I'm just looking at some of those now to give you some actual figures rather than you know rather than anything else and so we've got an example of um, a, a young guy called Oliver Hobson who ran a very solid two hours 45 minutes at the La Rochelle marathon this was like fairly cool rainy conditions he consumed 490 millilitres of fluid per hour 
during that run. That just blows my mind, Andy. And I'll tell you why I mentioned this. And I did this at the weekend. We actually did, myself and my girlfriend, we're training for Manchester Marathon, as I think you know. And we actually did a a long run. So it was two and a half hours in. It was on the track, which sounds (laughs) mind-numbing. And to a degree it was, but it wasn't anywhere near as bad as we thought. And we did it because we didn't want to carry stuff. We wanted to practice fueling. You know, we wanted to, 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 we wanted to run a pancake flat course. You know, all that kind of thing. It, we needed to be quite measured. So we were really kind of working on that. And I took during two and a half hours, and this was what I would call a, a sort of fast, easy run. So I was still in the realms of easy, but it was upper end easy. You know what I mean? You know you're working. I couldn't carry it on for another uh, two hours or whatever. And I, we, another reason we wanted to, to do it on the track is because we had bottles of water at the side. We could pick them up, run with it sip and then obviously drop the bottle wherever you were and then afterwards we could see how much we've taken and I was just quite curious you know as a coach as well and as a runner I'm just quite curious and I consumed interestingly we both consumed the same myself and my girlfriend Martina 150 mil of fluid in two and a half hours now it was cool conditions it wasn't race pace but it was it was getting up there it's probably 30 seconds per mile slower than race pace if not slightly quicker and I didn't feel like I needed anymore and then when I got home and this sounds a bit bonkers, but when I got home, I thought, what, what, what would that mean? If I, you hear about this 500 mil and lots of, you know, athletes you'll read on these blogs, it's taking, you know, 500 mil an hour or whatever. And I thought, what, how, how would that work practically in a race? Because it's difficult to quantify. And I took a, a good mouthful of water and measured, which sounds really odd, how much I could consume in one kind yeah. of gulp, as it were. And it was 40 yeah. mil. So 40 mil is a, is a good gulp as well. And that's when I'm still in the kitchen, by the way, not running, not, not race pace. So if you're on that basis, you're looking at 12 gulps to give you 500 mil an hour. Let's say there's two aid stations per hour, there or thereabouts, and let's say a marathon. That's six gulps an hour, which, you know, like that six, six gulps per aid station rather, which sounds a lot. You know, if I think about that now, and I, I'm, I'm at the, the aid station in Manchester and I'm grabbing the water, I mean, how can I consume that amount? And then you've got the other thing of people panicking because, well, I want to get, I want to consume what I want and then get rid of this damn bottle before I get beyond the kind of, uh, the you know, you've got that kind of runoff area, haven't you, where no, you can't dump any more bottles here. So there's like this pressure. It's It sounds difficult. I mean, if you've got all the athletes you speak to, have you got any tips on or, or awareness, knowledge of how they consume that amount of fluid if they require it, like the athlete you just mentioned? Yeah, so it's it's a really it's a really important and interesting question that you're asking there because I think you know going back to your particular run in cool conditions there, that doesn't surprise me at this time of year. You know, we're talking in January, and if it's if it is cold outside, you can run for a relatively long time, especially at an easy pace, without sweating a huge amount, without dehydration causing you a problem for your performance. So if you were just drinking what you felt like drinking and you maintained your performance, then you did a good job with your hydration. So that's that's totally fine. When you move it up to the next level and you're racing and stuff, we would expect your sweat rate to go up. And I think, you know, for me, looking at the, the stats that we've seen, 200, 300, somewhere between 200 and 400, actually, millilitres per hour seems to be a a reasonable amount of fluid that a lot of um, the sort of medium quick marathon runners that we're working with manage to consume during the course of the race. Now there is an element of that being an estimate because they are picking up bottles and cups on the course and we're interviewing to find out how much they've taken. So there's some variation in it, but I would say what the, the things that they're doing there, if they are 
deliberately trying to consume a little bit more is they're not rushing through the aid station. So a lot of marathons these days will give you little bottles rather than cups. And that's great because you can run quite a long way holding that bottle. Although people seem hell bent on forcing as much of it across their face and down their front as they can and then dropping it immediately. <laughs> if you actually just take your time and get a little bit away from the aid station and sip away, you can, you can, you can consume a bit more if you feel you need to, which is a good thing. And then at the other extreme, one of the examples I was going to highlight to you, which will, based on that conversation, completely blow your mind, is that Malcolm Hicks, who's a, a New Zealander that we've worked with, who ran in the Tokyo Olympic Marathon and ran two hours, 23 minutes there, he, Malcolm, consumed, and I'm going to get this figure right for you, 1.1, 1. 1, 1.1 litres per hour during that run. But then you wow. think about the heat and humidity in Tokyo. He was getting the majority of his calories, his carbs from that fluid as well. He trained to do so. And he's an elite runner who has the benefit of being able to pick up his own bottles, you know, at certain places on the course. So he will have he will have done a great job in making sure that he got those bottles and that he consumed a set amount from each of those bottles th- throughout the course. And, you know, we we saw we certainly saw those and we see those numbers as being very accurate. We interviewed Malcolm before and after the race and worked with him a little bit on making sure his plan was sound and it was congruent with what we thought he should be doing. So I think the range is is, is very, very great. I think the advantage that runners who are moving a bit more slowly have as well is that that they have a little bit more time moving through the aid stations to get a bit more to drink. Now that doesn't mean you should you should mindlessly over drink. We talked in the last podcast about hyponatremia and the risk of over drinking, which is very real. But at the same time, I think it's a case of prioritization. If you're if if it's a hot race and hydration is going to be an issue, you need to take more time in order to to make sure you're getting a little bit more fluid in. If it's a cooler race or in, in cold conditions, what we're seeing with, with athletes that we work with is actually hydration's less of a priority. So you can kind of go with your thirst instincts like you did in that long run that you did, go with what you feel, and you actually might end up taking a relatively small amount in because it's gonna it's not gonna hamper your performance. So it's very, very conditioned and in and um it's very dependent on the conditions and the individual, as opposed to the fueling, which is far more consistent no matter what the weather's doing. Talking of the elite runners, Andy, I, I I have noticed when watching these guys and girls that they, they they tend to drink with the bottle from the kind of corner of their mouth. Is that is that a deliberate thing? Is that easier to consume fluid? Perhaps for people running the first marathon, should they be thinking about trying that rather than sort of straight on and potentially, you know, choking more on what they're consuming? Is that why they do it? I think I think it's a. F- I think it's mainly a factor of the type of bottles that they can use. So the elite runners will tend to have very tall, skinny. They're usually about 400 milliliters and they're like, they look like a cycling bottle when you see them on TV, but actually they're quite a bit skinnier so that you can hold them in your hand and they're very soft, flexible plastic. And I think it's just, it's a lot easier to see where you're going because they're quite long and thin to hold it to the side and squirt it into the corner of your mouth, as opposed to if you get given a standard little bottle of mineral water type you know plastic bottle that you get a normal one it's a bit harder to tip that in on the side um i know that if you basically if you do get a sports cap bottle though it'd be worth trying it but again those those little things i mean it sounds like we we're talking about like how how should i take a drink it sounds ridiculous it would sound ridiculous to some people listening but until you've (laughs) tried it until you've tried running at marathon pace carrying a bottle 
untaking a drink or without tripping over, you know, getting it all down yourself, choking and all the rest of it. it, it you, you don't realise that by, if you don't practice this along with your fueling before the day, you are leaving an element of your performance to chance, really, a huge element of it to chance. And I just think that's a, a really important point to get across, you know, practice exactly what you're going to do. Absolutely. And I guess especially if you're at the sharp end of your ability, so perhaps you're getting close to what you're truly capable of in a given distance. And then all of a sudden it's those little things that matter, those small little things that can increase your performance and just help you chip away those perhaps seconds or maybe minutes to help you dip under that time that you're looking at targeting. So I think those kind of things really do come into effect and it's definitely worth having in mind. Now, look, I can't let you go, Andy. I could talk to you all day about this stuff. It's a huge, huge field and it just goes to show why we need people like you guys doing your work, helping educate people on fueling and hydration. But I can't let you go without asking you about uh, an athlete you know very well, Alexander uh, Sorokin. Alexander Sorokin, who broke the... Broke his own 100 mile world record earlier this year. That's 100 miles. I mean, it just it blows my mind. 6:32 minutes per mile for 100 miles. I mean, how how do you fuel something like that when you are looking at actually racing it as he was? Yeah, it's where do you start? It's an insane achievement, isn't it? And um, we we sort of got to know Alex because someone put us in touch because it transpired that he'd been using some of our hydration products for, for some of his runs. And we sort of reached out to him saying, you know, we'd heard this was true. Is is that true? And if so, is there anything else we can do to help? Because, you know, we're so impressed with with what, what he's up to. And um, he was kind enough to to trade emails with the sports science team here at Precision Fuel and Hydration and we broke down all of the stuff that he was eating so I've got I've, I've actually got an insight into the menu of, of what he ate and drank and he said that during the race so before the race he, he just had a little bit of water a coffee and his favourite breakfast which is apparently just fried fried vegetables with bread so there's fine you know, that that whatever works whatever works for your pre-race meal definitely one thing i've learned talking to athletes over the years is that don't mess with the pre-race meal you know there's a lot of ritual and <laughs> stuff associated with it and then during during the event he had a general aim going back to your point about fluids a general aim was to take in about 500 mils of fluid and about 100 grams of carbohydrate per hour which you know if people aren't familiar with the figures involved is a pretty substantial amount of both like half a <laughs> liter of fluid and 100 grams of carbohydrate is over it's four standard energy gels or three and a bit of our pf30 energy gels or the equivalent every single hour for for 12 hours or so 11 hours is is pretty savage. It's, it requires a commitment to eating. He he actually broke it up a little bit because he was drinking some calories. So he was taking in about half of his fluid intake was energy drinks. Um, so about um, about sort of forty grams of carbohydrate in a in a drink, and then some of it was our precision hydration one thousand milligram hydration drink mix which has got a thousand milligrams of sodium in it so he was using that obviously to keep his hydration levels up um uh, beyond that he was also taking bananas or he was actually having white bread sandwiches with different fillings um he was throwing in a little bit of coca-cola presumably for the for the sugar and the caffeine 
and he basically any Snickers in there? Uh, any any Snickers? No, or? I don't think there was any. No, no, no Snickers. No Snickers. Oh. Not not that he mm. was reporting. He had he had quite a bit of fruit by the sound of it because obviously fruit's quite. <laughs> Um, it's quite good for it's actually quite good for hydration as much as it is for um, for fuel and quite digestible and easy to eat on the move quite easy on the stomach and what what he generally saw I think was that Alex was really able to stick to a a very regimented and quite a high level of feeding in the first few hours of the race which which necessarily kind of tapered off later on which which again is something when we look at ultra running um fluid and and calorie intake that often tends to happen because you know once you get a few hours in your body starts to to break down a little bit you you lose a little bit of interest in eating and drinking and the idea is is to try and keep it up if you can but your digestive system can shut down a little bit it can become quite hard so we use this term with distance runners to say we feel like you should front load your calories and your your hydration a little bit because we know that inevitably you're going to taper off towards the end so if you can get ahead of that with a decent level of consumption in the early part of the race even when you maybe don't necessarily feel like you'd need it what you're doing is putting fuel in the tanks for later on rather than you know kind of waiting waiting for you waiting to feel like you're declining and then fueling up which can be like closing the the door once the horse has gone basically what a fantastic point don't play catch up it's about getting ahead of the game that's really really important whatever you uh, your nutrition strategy your fueling strategy may be for your upcoming race we wish you well Andy it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you I really do appreciate it I'm looking forward to checking out the the, the carb uh, mix I've not tried the carb mix yet and I've not tried your uh, fuel pouch the 90 gram carb uh, fuel pouch here are you going to send Pete some bits and bobs to check out some PF fuel I'm really interested here to know uh, Pete obviously doing the Manchester relay in uh, April needs to start thinking about fueling are you going to send uh, Pete some bits Sandy I think absolutely yeah we'll get him we'll get Pete fully carbed up for that one I'd be happy to be fully carbed up Andy absolutely it sounds good <laughs> How how far is your leg of the relay? Uh, how far is it, Jack? I don't know, Andy. I'm a non-running guy. He just tells me what to do. He says, right, start running at this point, stop running at that point. Is it 10K? Well, the jury's out a little bit, Andy, because there's two options here. It's a 10 kilometres or it is a half marathon. So uh, I can't even say it without stuttering. It's a half marathon. Uh, Pete, he's he's not up for the half marathon, but I'm still working on him. So who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Pete, to be honest with you, I'm going to level with you. The only reason I actually want Andy to send you some of the uh, precision fuel and hydration bits for you to try is not because I... I mean, I do care about your race, obviously, but it does say quite clearly on their website that if you're someone who hasn't gotten on well with gels previously because it does happen Mm -hmm. give ours a try i will eat a flip-flop if you're not pleasantly surprised i can see it on the website (laughs) so i'm just hoping that you don't like them pete and then when we get andy back for a third installment we witness him eat a flip-flop i'll be honest i've never tasted anything i don't like so you know he's not gonna have to eat a flip-flop it'll be fine whatever happens pete we are going to make sure that lack of carbs is not going to be the reason you don't finish strong in that in your half marathon fantastic i feel like andy's on my team it's all i need jake it's all i need andy great to chat to you look after yourself catch up soon thanks guys if you want to nail your fueling and hydration strategy for an upcoming race then you'll be pleased to hear as a podcast listener you get 15 percent off your first order of electrolytes and fuel all you have to do is head to precisionfuelandhydration.com and at the checkout, enter the code JAKE22. Running with Jake, the podcast. Now, this is the part of the show where I need to be very careful. 
Careful, why? Yeah, yeah. Well, we spoke with Andy Blow, didn't we? I'm super fired up. Sports scientist, top guy. Why do you have to be particular? You weren't careful when he was on, mate. I'll be honest. I'm, I'm, I'm on a recovery week, aren't I? I can't be getting out there and smashing it. I feel like smashing it now. <laughs> Need to get out there I'll with see. my gels and my hydration products. Fuel myself. You can't do that. Go for it. You can't do that. Got to back off, man. I'm, I'm going to be staying away from that track for a short while. That is for damn sure. Good job. So will I. I think I'll stay away from the track as well, just in case. Well, I may be on a recovery week, but that doesn't mean I can't take one of your questions in hashtag AskJake. Today's question comes from Laura, who wants to know whether to base her long runs on distance or duration. Laura, this can divide opinion. In my opinion, I think in the main, it is more accurate and therefore better to use duration as a target for long runs. And the reason I say that is it can take different amounts of time to cover certain distances. So, for example, on one day, 10 miles might take you two hours, where on another day, it may take you longer if you're running, let's say, a hilly course or if you're feeling a little tired or if the conditions, the weather conditions aren't great. So by running for duration, targeting time over distance, it enables you to accurately control how much stress you are putting the body under. Having said that, I do think it is worth including the occasional distance-based long run because I do think that ticking off certain distances can be really good for confidence. I hope that helps. Good luck with whatever race you're training for. If you've got a question, then it's hashtag AskJake or you can drop me an email at podcast at runningwithjake.com. I'll tell you something, you know, Pete. Running around a track for that long isn't all bad. You should give it a go as part of your training for the Manchester Marathon Relay. Just, you know, a few laps, few... 100 that laps of, of... Sounds like an absolutely bloody awful idea, Jake. It really, really does. Do you know uh, one thing I've come to appreciate over the last couple of weeks, right, is I did call you up after I'd done a little run and it turned out I had to do 10K and I said to you, Jake, please help me go from 5K to 10K and I just want to do it in a time that is reasonably respectable you know i'd aim for around about an hour to do 10k and i know that that's well beyond what i'm actually capable of doing now if someone said there's 10k go run it i'd go oh god and then i'd probably keel over at about eight um after an hour and 30 minutes of running um and and i did come to you and i've said mate can you help me out here please um because you are a professional running coach (laughs) even though i do kind of rip it out of you a lot you are a professional running coach and i feel like you've put an arm around me i feel like you've really looked after me and I feel like I'm on to do what I want to be able to do. Um, so what I'd say is is don't ruin it by saying <laughs> stupid things like that, please. <laughs> I was being motivational. I was trying to help no, you, you with some free you coaching being... <laughs> advice there. You were being silly. Come on, stop it. Get yourself to Moorways, your local track in Derby. You'll love it, honestly. <laughs> They've closed it down for refurbishing. I can't. I'm sorry. <laughs> you have been listening to Running With Jake, the podcast, your weekly dose of running motivation if you have enjoyed today's episode or in fact any of the 110 running with jake episodes that we have done well literally any of the episodes i mean it doesn't even have to be like a whole episode actually <laughs> if there was just one episode once one time where you thought that bit of that show was kind of okay it wasn't too bad that'll do we'll yeah. take that yeah. if if you can find a part of our show that is not too bad Please just spend a moment using your podcast app on your mobile phone, whichever you use to listen to the show, (laughs) to rate and review our show. We would really love that. It will help more people find our little show of motivational madness. Yeah, and if you're struggling for a bit, then let let me tell you a bit that didn't completely suck like the rest does. Mm. um, was um, episode 54, 17 minutes and 34 seconds in. 
actually really, really, really good uh, little bit that we did there. So I go remember and have a that. To that. I remember that. Go yeah. and check that, that out. E- even if you're just happy that the show's over, that'll do. We'll take that. We will take <laughs> That's that. That's fine. That's fine. And then once you've done that, it's on to the next priority. You're a runner. Shoes on. Lace up. Let's go. See you next week. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and one more thing. Mental toughness is finding the fuel when the tank is empty.